The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. This is Locked and Loaded with Rick Munn on TNT. Okay, let's get it done. It is Monday, the 18th of December, 2023. This is TNT Radio. We're beaming at you live from the Gold Coast in Australia. I'm Rick Munn. And yeah, it's got a lot to cover this hour. I'm going to be talking to Gemma Cooper in a minute, and I have not one but two guests coming on this morning. Uh, the first one of which will be a chap by the name of David Thunder, who is a, a political philosopher. He's currently based in Spain, but he's a Irish descent. He and I are going to be talking about some domestic issues when he comes on at around about 20 past. And then in the last 20 minutes of the show, Kate Fontenelle, aka Lady Liberty, Liberty, will be joining me from Perth in Western Australia, talking about the relentless push that the Aussies are currently uh, have underway towards moving people across the digital ID portal and really emphasizing that into 2024. So she's going to be joining me uh, to give us an update on what's happening uh, on that business at the last part of the show. So in case you don't already know this, maybe you're a new listener to TNT Radio. Uh, we have a website, tntradio.live, and on that website, you can uh, interact with us on our live chat. And also you can leave a message for any one of our presenters uh, using our uh, contact forms, submission forms that are available on there. If you want to contact me directly, you can get me at rickmunn at tntradio.live. And of course, we have an app that's available for download on the App Store and also the Google Play Store. So you can listen to us on your listening device of choice uh, using our app. And of course, let's not forget, there's a live stream now going out uh, visually of uh, the content that we're doing at this point in time that's available on all the major streaming platforms like YouTube, Rumble and Odyssey. And on the main page, off our website uh, about halfway down there's a little embedded youtube live stream on there so you can actually watch from i was going to say the comfort of our website but you get what i'm saying there's an embedded link there to the youtube stream that you're free to watch or just simply listen it's uh, entirely up to yourself so uh, before i get talking to Gemma, a little bit of a plug this is a story and a plug as well uh, for the James Freeman show or the Freeman report that's coming up after this one. Uh, James has just put a message up to say a uh, clock is ticking uh, to save a chap called Craig's life. So there's a father of three uh, that uh, James is going to be talking about. Uh, his mother, I believe, is going to be uh, on the show with James in the next hour, along with Kate Shemarani. Father of three had made good progress after a car accident nine months ago. Uh, he is not dependent on any machines, but the doctors want to remove food and water from him and actually let this man die. Unbelievable. Uh, this is happening in the UK at the moment. So if you can, and that is something that interests you, please, I would encourage you to stay tuned for James in the next hour in the Freeman Report. He'll be discussing that story along with Kate Shemarani, who's also a fellow TNT presenter. Uh, also, I'm seeing here, this is quite ironic. Uh, the Business Post in Ireland is reporting this morning that the Irish government, check this out, the Irish government has paid more than 11 million euro or 12 million dollars to buy one of the most expensive homes in Washington DC to be used as the new residence for Geraldine Byrne-Nason, the Irish ambassador to the United States, the Business Post can reveal. The Irish government, in the middle of a cost of living crisis, a homelessness crisis, 
12,000 Irish people without a home, untold amounts of people flooding into the country who are now being given sleeping bags because they don't even have hotels and B&Bs to put them in, have just shelled out 11 million euro on a house in Washington, D.C., to put the Irish ambassador uh, to the United States into. That is absolutely unbelievable. But again, nothing is surprising and nothing is shocking in these current times in which we actually live. Cost of living crisis, yet yeah, for the vast majority of people, but it would not appear that there's any cost of living crisis or any shortage of budgets to be spent among those that have, especially amongst themselves when it comes to maintaining their standards of living and maintaining their luxurious lifestyles. So I want to uh, get Gemma's thoughts on this one uh, just very briefly, and then we'll have another story uh, that we're going to cover. So please don't go away. Uh, we'll be right back here on TNT Radio. Clashing on the controversies. It's a woke society and I am fed up with it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yeah, this is uh, crazy. You couldn't really make this one up, Gemma. Uh, cost of living crisis, Ireland, homelessness is going off the chart. And yet we have the Irish government forking out 11 million euro on a, one residence in Washington, D.C. to put the Irish ambassador to the United States into. How is that even remotely justifiable? Well, they, they live in a parallel universe, don't they? I mean, the story we're going to discuss in a minute will show very clearly it's one rule for them and one rule for us on the bottom. And it's always been that way. It's just we're seeing it much more clearly and we're calling it out where we see it. But I mean, really, 11 million? 11 million? Well, I mean, where's, what's she living in? A palace? I mean, it, it literally just... is. It's this huge uh, expense. It's it's one of the most expensive homes in all of Washington, D.C. So they didn't just get her an apartment, you know, or somewhere close to where she's actually going to be working when she's in Washington, D.C. This is a detached, uh, looks like a, one of those uh, plantation houses from, you know, the southern states of America, only it's in Washington, D.C., one of the most expensive houses in the region. I'm looking at a picture of it now, these huge walls around it, these gates, these uh, electronic gates it's a palace basically for one woman and don't forget uh, she's going to be coming and going to that residence i don't think she's going to be putting roots down there it's just her place to go when she's in washington and uh how, how they've uh, justified this or i haven't justified it but how they've had the audacity to do this is beyond me I think you're quite right, though. The word is audacity. I mean, you know, you hear a lot about the special relationship, don't you, between England, the UK um, and uh, America, because, of course, you know, we founded America. It's part of the corporation. Mm -hmm. But um, I'd never really heard of the special relationship between Ireland mm -hmm. and the USA. And 11 million, you know, it's really an extraordinary figure. Has there been any pushback yet? Has there been anyone calling it out apart from you and TNT? <laughs> For me, no. Uh, I literally have just seen it here this morning, so uh, maybe it's still fresh, hot off the press, as it were, but I have no doubt that as wind of this uh, gets out there, along with everything else that's going on in Ireland at the minute, no doubt there'll be an unholy amount of kickback on it. But then again, what can we do? That I think the per the property's already been purchased. It's not like they're going to you know, refund the money back and, and, and downgrade or end an apartment. What's that old saying? It's easier to ask for uh, forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. At best, they could say, well, maybe we're a little bit exuberant there, but you know what, it's too late now. We have the deeds, it's our property, so we might as well let her actually remain in situ. So uh, this leads on a little bit. Uh, 
to the next story that we have here. It's to do with uh, blanket amnesty. Uh, there's a chap, David Nolan, who runs stopcommonpass.org. Uh, he hasn't been on here for a while, but he used to be on quite frequently on Locked and Loaded. Uh, he said, we agree it's time for a blanket amnesty of COVID fines, as well as a now revoked uh, COVID legislation being removed from the statute book. So there's a royal prerogative of mercy that can be exercised by King Charles III on advice from the Justice Secretary. Basically a push here, Gemma, to try and get the thousands of people that still owe huge amounts of money from COVID fines to have those erased and eradicated because obviously many people can't simply pay those fines. No, absolutely not. But again, this this story shows how it's one rule for us and one rule for the for the elites, and it shows it in a, in a, such a horribly fiscal way that you it does. You know, I'm not feeling well today, as we talked about at the top of the last hour. But this one, this has got my blood boiling and my adrenaline flowing, and I it's galvanizing me into some sort of. You know, I want to start a campaign of my own. I mean, you're quite right. That campaign group you just talked about has got behind uh, this uh, proposal, which has actually come from lawyers. It's come from UK lawyers. And they, they are saying now that we should absolutely um, have the COVID fines that were issued, you know, three years ago to be scrapped uh, and amnesty as thousands of these fines remain unpaid. It's probably going to cost more to chase than it is, you know, for the actual revenue. But the figures are astounding. So there were mm. 124,000 fines issued for violating pandemic rules, um, and almost a half of them, 54,000, has not been paid, and that's a total of 16.5 million. But the fines are absolutely astronomical, and, and for what they were issued for, for example, £10,000 for a socially distanced snowball fight at a university, uh, £14,300 uh, issued to a man who his friend had a party in his garden while he was at work, uh, and it was deemed illegal, um, but he was at work because the house was in his name. The police tracked him down, have fined him this huge amount of money, which he can't pay. He's now lost his house. You know, these fines are absolutely astronomical and targeted at young people, students and ethnic minorities above all else in the UK. And the lawyers are saying enough's enough. You know, in hindsight, they were too much with the cost of living crisis we've got now. They should be rescinded. Um, and Slovakia actually uh, did this uh, earlier in the year and rescinded their fines. The Slov Slovenia, actually, Slovenian government mm -hmm. um, rescinded theirs and refund refunded one and a half million and wiped them from the records. Now, cast your mind back to the old party gate and the fines that were issued to our then prime minister and his wife and the then chancellor of the exchequer what did they get fined for breaking lockdown 50 quid 50 pounds you know one rule for them rick one rule for us it's absolutely disgusting it is and there was a i saw another article yesterday there was a, a some one of the more prominent people in the irish so-called irish freedom movement he was up in court uh over non-payment of a, a covid fine from years ago where he moved more than five kilometers from his house now the case when it got the court was thrown out by the judge because the 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 police officer the guard uh the, the guardy officer actually had left the force he was a sergeant so because he had left the force and he was the person that wanted to bring the charge uh, the judge went through it out even though the guardie and uh, the their legal team still was pressuring the judge to chase this guy for non-payment of this fine they just said i'm not having this coming through the court the guy doesn't even work for the police service anymore so it was thrown out so there's a lot of these cases are being dismissed by the judges but unfortunately like those figures uh Gemma in that report are astronomical 124,000 fines 
issued up to October of this year, which also shows you that they were still issuing fines uh, up to uh, October of this year. Almost half not paid, 16.7 million in fines, some up to £10,000. Cases chased through the courts with bailiffs. There is nothing that justified the lockdowns to begin with. Now imagine the insult, the injury that people are now feeling and the pain that people are now feeling, financial pain and also mental stress of maybe losing your home because what, you had a snowball fight when you were supposed to be sitting at home or you know you, you moved more than 10 miles from your house because you wanted to visit a sick relative. And don't forget Dominic Cummings, this is all coming back to mind now. He was having it away with uh, some woman and uh, wasn't, no, that wasn't him, sorry, that was Neil Ferguson. Uh, it was Dominic Cummings was uh, testing his wife's glasses, I think. Remember driving to Barnard Castle and back, breaking all the lockdown rules as well. You don't see them being chased for 10 grand, do you? Well, that's the point. That's the point. They're not, you know, and the ones that did get caught out so red-handedly, they had to pay £50. £50. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're talking people, these young people stressed off their head, can't pay the money back. Who's got 10 grand just to just mm -hmm. to give to the courts? You know, it's absolutely uh, disgraceful. And, you know, what is heartening is the lawyers against COVID fines are like saying this has got to stop and we need to rescind these fines. And also the campaign group that you just mentioned there um, is saying, you know, we need to have it scrapped from legislation and the king can do that um, it, with advice from, from the Justice Department. But you know, that might happen. But what we've also got waiting in the wings and looming is the WHO pandemic treaty, which could bring all of this back on steroids. And in fact, today in the Houses of Parliament, we've got the, the debate on the amendments to the international health regulations, which was spearheaded by the World Council for Health here in Bath in the UK, because that's what's kind of come back well, far worse than what we had. I mean, when you look back, you can't even believe that this, this actually happened. You know, it's so mental and so mad that people were fined for having something as playful and fun as a, a snowball fight. You know, it's absolutely ridiculous, 10 grand. Um, but, we, you know, we have to be very careful that we could get rid of this legislation, uh, as these, these groups are calling for, and get rid of the fines. And then, lo and behold, WHO swoops back in and we're, we're under house arrest once again. And also, this worth noting, just as we're up this one up here, this could be a good PR move for King Charles III or Charlie Boy if he decided to pursue uh, exercising his royal mercy and wiping all these fines off, that would be a huge PR score for Buckingham Palace at a time that I would say that they need some PR points. But unfortunately, because of aloofness and because of his complete detachment from the actual subjects that he's lording it over, I don't think that he will do that. I would be very, very surprised if he waves, you know, his royal hand over these debts and make them disappear in a puff of smoke. But if he had his PR team, he had any sense of uh, brains in their heads, he'd say, listen, half of these haven't even been paid. It's making things look really bad. It would get you some serious brownie points here if you were to, you know, show some mercy and forgive these debts. But I don't think uh, that that's going to happen. But you never know. Uh, he might have a, a you know a strike of conscience over the Christmas period, but something tells me when he's stuck up in Balmoral Castle shooting pheasants and you know necking whiskey and rambling around the the the, the burr and thicket, uh, you know with a stick. I don't think he's going to be thinking about people like you and me who have incurred humongous COVID fines over the last few years. But anyway, we can but hope. Gemma, we can but hope. We're going to have to wrap this one up. Massive thanks to you uh, for stepping up to the plate again this morning. Uh, we'll talk again tomorrow. Fingers crossed. And I'll be back after this uh, short break with David 
Thunder here live on TNT Radio. Don't go away. TNT Radio's Patrick Henningsen. There's a dark cloud which is gathering over Ukraine. This has been an absolute disaster. In the last month alone, as it reported previously, Ukraine's lost 13,000 troops in October. So what does that mean? Well, you can guess that recruitment is probably down. So right now, the government in Kiev, the Zelensky government's doing forced conscription. Morale is at an all-time low. Uh, we've also seen conscientious objectors uh, who are taking to social media like Telegram who reported uh, that they were just finished a six-month prison sentence uh, after refusing to go to the front line. Some of the forced conscripts rebelled, were imprisoned for six months, did a six-month sentence, and then the day before their release, they were put into a van and then sent to the front line. I kid you not. Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk TNT Radio. I'm Naheem Hines, professional football player and proud supporter of the Muscular Dystrophy Association. My mom was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when I was 14, and I watched her struggle. But MDA helped her get the best treatments and care, and they also help kids like my buddy Ethan. My name is Ethan, and I'm 12 years old. Thanks to the Muscular Dystrophy Association and people like you, I have more hope than ever before. From day one, they've treated me like family at my local care center. MDA is the only one that funds over 150 care centers across the U.S. to help provide state-of-the-art care for adults and kids like me. For over 70 years, MDA has been transforming the lives of people living with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and other related neuromuscular diseases. They fund the research for breakthrough treatments, care, and cures. And MDA provides support to thousands of families like mine and Ethan's in communities like yours. Thanks to MDA, kids and adults can live life to its fullest. Join us and learn more at mda.org today. CO2 sustains all life on Earth, but now it's in long-term decline. We face the return of an ice age. We mandate that the truth be told. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, Monday the 18th of December 2023, TNT Radio Live, Locked and Loaded. I'm very happy to be joined on Locked and Loaded, at least for the first time, by David J. Thunder. David is a political philosopher. He's currently based in France. And if you want to connect with him, please do so on the X platform. You'll find him at David J. Thunder. And he also has a website, davidthunder.com. And a Substack page where you can go and view his writings and his musings, which is davidthunder.substack.com. So first and foremost, uh, welcome to the show for the first time, David. How are you doing today? Thank you, Rick. I'm actually down with the flu today, but uh, my voice is still in good shape. So <laughs> that's, that, that's the most important thing. As long as we can hear uh, what you have to say, even if you're hanging by a thread physically and mentally, the voice is absolutely crucial here on live radio, as I'm sure you can imagine. So I won't be too hard on you here this morning because I want you to come back okay. at some stage. So much appreciated uh, you joining us today. There's two things that I want to look at uh, in particular in the short time that we have here together. The first one of which is a uh, populist libertarian manifesto that you have put together uh, for consideration to people as an alternative uh, to the current status quo that's out there. And then in the second part of our interview, I want to look at the uh, disturbing uh, hate offences bill that is currently being pushed by the, the the scourge of Ireland, which I call Helen McEntee, the so-called justice minister in Ireland, uh, in the second part here. But this, uh, this manifesto that you've put together, okay, I had a, a listen to a video clip that you put up on it and just to set the ball rolling here. You, you, you'd said the key point is... Uh, 
in your intro to this uh, that there are three uh, challenges that are currently facing Western states at the minute. The first one of which is a crisis of trust and legitimacy, uh, a crisis of freedom, and also a crisis of welfare. Uh, based on that, uh, expand on that a little bit and, and tell us uh, what your thinking is when you were first putting that together. Yeah, uh, thanks, Rick. Yeah, the reason I put this manifesto together is basically because uh, we, in what I would call the freedom movement, um, who are committed to freedom, to liberty, to defending civil liberties, and that we really came together during the pandemic in particular. Um, over the last few years, we've been complaining a lot, rightly so, about the misbehaviors of government. Uh, but it's been quite difficult, I think, to pull together around a positive platform, you know, of political change. So as a political philosopher, as someone who devotes my life to the study of politics, I figured I have something to contribute. Why don't I pull together a platform um, that, value, that sh shows maybe some of the practical implications of a commitment to liberty? So... Uh, I believe that we need a political change. We need far-reaching change. And the reason we need that change is because we're in a political and constitutional crisis. And that crisis, as you just mentioned there, has a number of elements. One is it's a crisis of freedom. Civil liberty has taken a battering in the past few years. As never before in my lifetime, um, we were you know, put under house arrest. We were pressured and coerced into taking an experimental vaccine. We were censored the heck out of. Um, I mean, so we need to recover the value of freedom and protect it. And our current political parties are simply not doing that. Um, and the second element is, of course, the crisis of trust and legitimacy. And that is that many, many citizens have had enough. Many citizens simply don't trust their political representatives to look out for their better interests. And so they... You know, they look for alternatives, they go to different websites, they go away from the mainstream media, and a lot of them just defect from politics and they don't trust the established politics. Um, so we need people who go into mainstream politics, so to speak, and actually present an alternative to the people. People really need, need that. And the third part of the crisis is, is the welfare crisis, which is to say, you know, the modern welfare state is in a major crisis because it's built on the idea that the younger generation finances the pensions and the social security of the older generation. We're not having enough children. We have a demographic crisis. So we need to completely change the model of the welfare state. So in, in, my, uh, in my platform, all I do is I just present suggestions about what a libertarian populist political party might look like. Mm -hmm. Uh, let, let me say this, okay, based on those three points, there, the, the welfare thing is something that's absolutely going to affect everybody, whether they believe in politics or not, because the bottom line is uh, everybody's being hit in the pocket now. So it doesn't matter which way you vote or whether you vote or not, everyone is feeling the pinch of this crisis of welfare at the minute, or, you know, uh, the cost of living increases that at the minute are astronomical right across the board. The one thing in particular that I see as a potential stumbling block to getting uh, more people on board with this. Not that there's, uh, I agree with uh, the points that you make in the in the manifesto. I think it's brilliantly uh, written and very, very well laid out. But uh, this crisis of trust and legitimacy in the same way 
as trust, I believe, has been irreparably damaged in, for example, the medical profession and big pharma over the last three years because of, you know, what has happened with regards to the NHS waiting lists, uh, you know, people dying and, uh, you know, the jabs that were rolled out. Do you feel as well that a huge hurdle to overcome is that a lot of people are so disgusted and so disgruntled and so past caring anymore about politics that they'll simply say, oh, to hell with it. I'm just not going to vote anymore. Nobody can be trusted. Uh, we don't need a government anyway. That mindset's going to be a hard one to crack, do you think? I do. I do think so. It'll be hard, especially if, if the people presenting themselves are coming from coming out of politics, in a sense, have a long history of established politics, establishment politics. Um, but I think if you have new faces who aren't coming from the world of politics yes. and who, in a way, are not so politically savvy as the people on the inside, um, but yet are intelligent and are able to express themselves um, clearly, I think there is a possibility to win people over. And, mm -hmm. and in fact, I would, I would argue that we're at a point that people are so disillusioned with the political system that they're uniquely open to more radical uh, reform and more far-reaching mm -hmm. reform. You know, as you said, when people feel hit in their pockets, when they see that inflation is going through the roof, when they see that the misbehavior of government um, and the mismanagement of pensions and healthcare and so on is going to hit their family, then I think they might turn around and say, I'm open to a radical reform. For example, yeah. the privatization of pensions and the privatization of welfare, such that, okay, maybe you have an obligation to put into a pension fund, fair enough, of some sort, but it's individualized and you can track it and you know what you're doing, <laughs> as opposed to just yeah. giving money to a government to do whatever it wants. Yeah, I think we are reaching that tipping point at the minute because you know you can't hide the effects that this is having on people's standards of living. You know, so whether or not they're political or not, or they follow a certain party, or they believe, you know, or they believe vehemently, or they they disagree completely with the political system. One thing's for sure is that if things keep going the way that they're going with the people that we currently have in situ, we are heading for the abyss in terms of our society and certainly in terms of our economy. We've got to take a real brief uh, news break right now, David, just for thirty seconds. When we come back, I want to touch on another point to do with this before we move on to our discussion on Ireland's hate speech business. So please, listeners, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this short break here on TNT Radio. Uh, oh, 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 here's some more potentially bad news. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Israel's war in Gaza is now threatening to derail global trade, with four of the world's largest container shipping companies now redirecting their ships to avoid rocket fire and drones in the Red Sea. Slovakia has expressed its concerns over NATO's involvement in Ukraine, and tensions appear to be increasing on the Korean peninsula, with North Korea firing two ballistic missiles into the Sea of Japan in a direct show of force against the US and its southern neighbour. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio.
Okay, I'm talking with uh, David Thunder this morning. We're talking about uh, alternatives here, alternatives, and uh, I suppose the retention of a little bit of hope. Because uh, one of the things that you have said, uh, David, when you put together this uh, populist libertarian manifesto is that, uh, in your words, I propose a collection of principles that might be good candidates for the platform of a pro-freedom, pro-limited government uh, party. So you mentioned that uh, new faces are needed. I think one of the things that is set, set in with a lot of British voters is fatigue. They're always looking at the same old faces. Even at the minute, you look at the like of David Cameron. David Cameron has been, you know, dusted off and brought back and made a made a baron or a peer, and he's stuck into the position of uh, Home Secretary now. Tony Blair never went too far away. Boris Johnson, the last elected Prime Minister that we had, you know, we've had Liz Trust. Now we've got Rishi Singh. Johnson never went too far away, and Farage is out there in the peripheries. There are no real, there is no real fresh blood coming up through the political arena at the minute. Is that ultimately what's really needed here? We we, we need fresh blood. Yes, I think we do. Now, I would say that the ideal situation is to have people who are not seasoned politicians and who have integrity. Who are who project integrity and even a little bit of naivety because they're not you know cynical jaded um, they have a little bit of idealism but they're supported and they're advised by people who are seasoned politicians with integrity and who are able to give that support to them and help them survive the difficult world of politics the nasty world of politics so i'm not a, i'm not an idealist in the sense of thinking that you could just march into politics and if you have no experience but I think you can help people from outside the political realm succeed if they have good advisors, good sound advisors. Yeah, that's that's going to be the key there, uh, because of course, uh, as much as fresh blood is, is is needed here, I think if anything's going to do it, you know, there's a lot of very cynical people out there, and I'm I'm one of them too, to be honest with you. As I look around the political landscape, I have to question: Well, if, if I vote for this party or I vote for that party, are they not two wings of the same bird, or as some people more crudely put it, two cheeks of the same ass here? Uh, you know, if Labour, for example, get in in the next general election in the UK, are they not going to be an even worse? alternative than the already horrific Tory party? Uh, is it a case of voting for who's the least bad candidate instead of the best candidate? And unfortunately, I think that's the uh, the whirlpool that voters are in at the minute, and it's making them increasingly despondent. So I think uh, fresh blood and a new approach is most definitely needed. And I encourage any people out there, even if you're you know really cynical and really against uh, politics, check out what David at least has to say, because he invites people to uh, provide constructive criticism on what he has written and what he has said. You can check out, uh, there's an upload on his X uh, platform, David J. Thunder. Go and listen to what he has to say. Go and read what he has to say. And if you're against them or you oppose it, make your views clear. And I'm sure he'll take on any constructive criticism uh, or positive criticism as well and positive feedback. Uh, so you can do that, please, at your own leisure. David, I want to move on uh, because I want to make sure we cover off this topic as well. 
Uh, Ireland is really getting it in the neck at the minute. A lot of the world's attention is on Ireland at this point in time. Uh, there is a hate speech or a hate offences bill that Helen McEntee, the Justice Minister, is trying to push through at the minute. She can't actually define what hate is. Uh, she's a woman, but claims she can't define what a woman is. And she's labelling people like us potentially far right, even though last week when pushed at a press conference to define what far right is, she said, I can't really define that either. Either. How on earth is this lady in her position, retaining her position and pushing legislation through that she can't even define what it is? It's a great question. I mean, how is how is this legislation even sitting before the Senate? That is the question for me. This is a piece of legislation that allows police to get a warrant to uh, raid your home, to confiscate your computer based on something you wrote that was never published, but that they think you might publish and that might offend somebody, might be construed as hateful or as, you know, uh, inciting hatred against one of a kind of a number of groups that they lay out, including transgender people whose gender may be male or female, or it may be something else. It may be something else which is unspecified. So, uh, there's a radical redefinition of gender, first of all, to mean something that is not defined. So we don't even know what it means. It's like a kind of pure identity politics. Gender is whatever I want it to be. And there's this, this idea that the state can, in a kind of a, you know, uh, can go into your home and basically just anticipate what you might publish and put you in jail because of that. Um, it's incredibly draconian. The most draconian piece of hate speech legislation I have seen in the Western world, and it passed overwhelmingly in the lower house of the Doyle, uh, which is incredible. And now it's under consideration in the in the Senate. Um, so uh, why do they have this legislation in place? Partly, they're responding to a European Council directive, uh, a European uh, Council framework decision from 2008 which obligates all member states to criminalize hate speech. And so they're actually acting on a, a European framework decision. That's important for people to understand. European Union is bringing us this. We're doing it to ourselves, but we are also being egged on and encouraged and, you know, by the European Commission and the European Union. Uh, tell me this, uh, you know, whenever uh, ministers were pressed on this, I remember uh, Ben Scallon in particular from Grip Media in Ireland was very uh, pressing on McEntee about uh, the, the public don't want this. And she said, well, actually, you know, after extensive consultation, we find that people actually do want this. She was referring to polls that were taken amongst uh, government ministers themselves. And of course, they're all voting uh, for what they want. You know, it's not like the turkeys are voting for Christmas here. It's like Santa's voting for Christmas when it comes to the Irish uh, Senate and the Irish Doyle or, or parliamentary uh, set up. Now that it's going to uh, the Senate, just, uh, just as we come to an end here, you also have written an open letter to Irish senators concerning the hate offences bill that they're trying to push through here. It doesn't look like there's a, a big buy-in to oppose this at the minute. Uh, in the last minute or so that we'll have to, uh, together here, realistically, based on what you can see at the minute, can you see her getting this one over the line? Can you see this one actually being brought in or will there be a rise up uh, from the senators and this will be blocked? What do you reckon? I think, unfortunately, the most likely scenario because of the quality of our politicians, the low quality of our politicians, is that it will 
make it through the Senate. In the best case scenario, they might be able to make some modifications of the more controversial parts of the act. That's my best hope that I'm holding out for. And I always say we need to educate people, even if it passes, so that people understand their liberty, understand that hate speech is a travesty of law, has no place in a legal system in a free society. People need to understand that because we need to delegitimize those laws, even if they are passed, because laws do not unconditionally bind upon people. A law that, that oppresses people, that does away with their liberty, is not binding. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I appreciate uh, your take on that. And I think we need to be realists here uh, uh, rather than eternal optimists here or optimism founded on no real hope at all. But there is always that chance that they'll amend this or that it will cause people to uh, understand what their actual rights are. And that these uh, laws, if enough people don't agree with them and enough people don't comply with them, mass non-compliance could be our way out of this one as well because it looks like uh, they're going to get it over the line in the Senate. David, we're actually up to time here. Uh, crazy time flies when you're having fun, as they say, or when you're dealing with these pertinent issues. Really want to appreciate you hopping on this morning. You and I will stay in contact and uh, let's maybe keep updates of this happening as it progresses, along with other items that you brought up this morning. That's David Thunder. Big thanks to you for uh, joining me this morning. I'll be back after the short news break with Kate Fantanelle. So please don't go away. Stay tuned for more here on TNT Radio. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. There are big changes going on in the overall global weather pattern over the next 15 to 20 days, exactly opposite of what happened last year. The United States overall is going to become a big focal point for winter weather. Europe also, again, once we get past this transition from the 20th through the 30th. So Europe is warmed up, but a lot of cold is coming, it looks to me, like January, February. And the U.S. may have another bout with snowmageddon, especially in the eastern part of the United States. But this is all part of this climate hypothesis I've developed due to underwater volcanic activity. And I've gone over this a couple of times, and it's pretty hard to do it in a minute or two, so I'm not going to review it. But what we said over a month ago was that there was going to be a lot of damaging storms from the El Nino this year, the Gulf of Mexico up the East Coast, and we got another one coming. We already saw Florida blasted back on November 17th. Well, here comes the next one. But I also said, look out for the hurricane season from hell next hurricane season. That's already on my radar. And if you want to read about it, you go to weatherbell.com. It's not behind the paywall. And you can take a look at what I'm looking at with that. But none of this is part of man-made climate change. That's why I like getting out in front. Because if you look at the readings that I've been doing and actually look at what I've been writing about all this, you find that there is a reason behind it and it has nothing to do with CO2 emissions. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog, meteorologist Joe Bastardi, asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. When the world's endangered animals need help most, when their lives are at greatest risk, when they would otherwise be lost, the International Fund for Animal Welfare is there, taking action to rescue the animals we love, to protect them and their threatened natural habitats. See how you can help animals and people thrive together at joinifall.org. Rick Mon is locked and loaded on today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
Okay, let's get straight down to business. The clock is on us at the moment. I'm very happy to be joined again, uh, probably for the last time this year, by the one and only Kate Fontenelle, a.k.a. Lady Liberty, beaming in from an undisclosed location in Western Australia. You can follow her on social media on an X platform at Lady Liberty AUS, and she also has a website, uh, Lady Liberty, I think it's .com, but she'll correct me anyway. But anyway, Kate, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? Hi, Rick. Thank you so much for having me on your Christmas episode. I'm very excited to be here. I know. That's crazy. Seven days from now, I believe, is Christmas Day. Two weeks from today is New Year's Day. And then, bang, we get to do it all over again in 2024, which is where I want to kick things off, actually. Uh, I noticed the post that you put up recently there talking about 2024. There will be a real concerted push for digital ID to be accepted amongst Australians. It seems to be, if the polls are to be believed, that a lot of people are actually interested in this. And of course, a lot of people are kicking back against it, saying this could be the end of our liberties, period, if they get this one fully over the line. What's your take on this? Will there be a real push for this next year, given everything else seems to be dying off in terms of you know the COVID business and lockdown restrictions? Do you think digital ID will be the next big battleground for the Aussies next year? Absolutely. And the Labor government here has already introduced a digital ID bill into the parliament and it's scary. It's all Whalian stuff. It's You have to have a digital ID to use government services. So in order to be able to go into the taxation office, you need a digital ID. So the rhetoric about it not being compulsory, it's just a bald-faced lie. And I think that's what we've seen from our so-called leaders in Australia, particularly during the COVID pandemic, is they just can't tell us straight. It's We can't trust them anymore. Uh, I don't want to have a digital ID. I'm not trustworthy of government at the best of times. And we've seen government registries being used for malicious purposes in my state of Western Australia, where the government here used the firearms registry to dox us and give that information, that highly sensitive information to the press that used it to publish a map, as I've talked about on your show before. So mm -hmm. I'm very uncomfortable with the idea of governments having centralised identity information. They were also talking about a national firearms registry to be completely online as well with our photos and addresses. I don't trust the government. I don't want them having all that information. And I think it's time that Australians stop being so apathetic and say no. Yeah, this isn't uh, obviously localised to Australia. I think was Australia, New Zealand and Canada were used as uh, testing grounds for the worst type of uh, dystopian lockdowns and authoritarianism during the, the scandemic years, you know, really between 2020 and 2022. And nobody can attest to that probably more than you. You were stuck there under the dictatorship of Mark McGowan all that time. You were literally locked in your own state. You couldn't even travel uh, to visit your own parents down in South Australia at the time. So it was a miserable time for you, along with many, many other uh, Western Australians. Uh, I think Victoria also had one of the most draconian lockdowns under Dan Andrews as well. So uh, that's another point. Uh, the the premierships, uh, so-called premierships, the leaders of the territories in the states in Australia, I think the last one retired last week. I think Anastasia Palaszczuk was the last lockdown uh, scamdemic 
Premier to exit stage left. McGon's gone. Michael Gunner went. Uh, Gladys Berejiklian, Dan Andrews, Palaszczuk, all exiting stage left. Do you think this is carefully timed now? Because that if there is a follow-up to this and they start chasing people and make people accountable, they can say, well, I'm no longer active in politics. You can't really come after me. It seems odd that there's none of them still around now, don't you think? I think they've been tapped on the shoulder and said their time is up. I mean, the Labour Party is quite an organised party. I can give them credit for that. And as you just said, I've been in Western Australia since the start of the pandemic in February 2020. And I actually met with a father just last week whose daughter, Robin Diargent, committed suicide in Sydney today in 2021 because the Premier, Mark McGowan, would not give her an exemption to come home despite proving she was suffering from PTSD and mental health issues and wanted to just come home and be with her family. So these premiers and Anastasia Palaszczuk in Queensland, she brought in coercive control laws against abusive partners while ruling over the Queenslanders with mandatory vaccination requirements and closing the border with Coolangatta in New South Wales, just there not letting people come in. I mean, a pregnant woman had child died because of it they, these people they're not leaders they're not they shouldn't be in charge of running our country let alone our states and that's why i do not trust giving the government any more powers at all yeah, uh, yeah, and once they get those powers, Kate, uh, infamously, they absolutely will not give up on them or relinquish them. You know, they have to be wrestled from them at best, even over in uh, in the north of Ireland here. Our COVID laws are still on a rolling six-month basis at the minute, even though it's nowhere to be seen. The, the so-called health department just don't want to let go of it. They want to keep renewing them and refreshing them every six months that just on the off chance something like this happens again, they can just lock us down faster and harder this time. I'm sure the thought of that filled someone like you with dread because you really did go through the ringer uh, in Western Australia along with so many people. Uh, and I would say a lot of people are traumatized still as a result of that. Uh, the mental health crisis that has resulted from these lockdown policies, I don't think can be measured, Kate. I just don't think it can be measured. I don't think it can be measured either. And there was a very big lack of compassion and empathy from the premiers and the leaders during that time. And we had a COVID inquiry here in Western Australia where they gave themselves a 10 out of 10 for their response. And they made the terms of reference very narrow. They handpicked who oversaw that inquiry. I understand there's a federal one, but it's not a royal commission. It does not have the full powers behind it to compel people to appear and give evidence. So people are still waiting. And I think a lot of people are waiting for an apology from their friends who also put pressure on them from family members who didn't want them at Christmas lunch or said things like you could kill grandma. We still want acknowledgement that what happened during that period in history was a very dark time for a lot of us who value liberty and who just wanted to be able to make decisions free from coercion. I think uh, another fallout to that, Kate, uh, uh, the, the policies that were implemented at that time or that they were enforced at that time, they were dropped in people's heads, whether they liked them or not. Uh, we're still seeing the fallout of that now to the extent that a lot of police, a lot of uh, teachers, a lot of uh, healthcare workers quit their jobs because they refused to take the COVID jabs. They didn't want to be mandated, you know, even if it resulted in, for example, a loss of a career or maybe they, they couldn't pay their mortgage anymore. They didn't want to take that chance. So they, they refused and they were sacked. They still haven't been reinstated in many cases. And I would say to add insult to injury, and you can tell me if I'm off, off the mark with this one or not, but it seems to be the borders are now being opened up uh, of Australia, welcoming people in there 
they're talking about people flooding into the country, hundreds of thousands of people to boost the labor force, to boost the police force, to boost the medical profession. What about the Aussies that are still there and don't have their jobs anymore because of these draconian policies and were never reinstated? Is that not the ultimate slap in the face to people like that that held the line, as it were, and suffered financially as a result of uh, retaining bodily autonomy? And it's also the housing market. We're in a housing crisis here in WA, particularly the rental market. It's absurd. And yet we're seeing the highest amount of immigration that we've seen in decades. So it just goes to show that the politicians that are running the show do not care about the everyday Australian on the ground. The Labor Party do not represent the workers or the working class anymore. It's all about power and money and oligarchs and the businessmen who run the show, particularly in my state of WA, which is a resources-rich state. They closed the borders here. It was economic protectionism for the billionaires. While the rest of us get poorer, we have inflation, the highest state, the rate in the country in my state. And there's no there's no help. We get pittance while big companies get subsidised using our money. It's, it's, it's quite disgusting when you think about it. It is, and uh, you know, we're going we're going at a rate of knots here this morning because we do have so much to talk about. We're trying to squeeze it all into the show here today. I, I couldn't have you on here without at least touching on your favourite subject, which is gun ownership. You are a, a licensed pistol shooter. You you like to wield a shotgun from time to time, and probably uh, some heavy machine guns stashed away somewhere in the bush uh, in southern Australia on Dad's ranch. Uh, but you're an advocate, not just for liberty, but also for Australian gun ownership. Uh, we talked on digital ID, we talked on crackdowns. Obviously, there's a squeeze on at the minute in terms of uh, gun ownership in Australia at the minute too. What's the current uh, state of play with that one? Well, they've just introduced a national firearms registry requirement. So all law-abiding firearm owners will have their data captured in a centralised database. And as I explained briefly before, that has been used nefariously by my state government. So you can see while a bit bit wary about a national one. Okay. There's also pushing ahead in my state to limit the number of firearms an individual can own. This is the first time these sort of laws have been brought in. They have not listened to the shooters or the people on the ground about this. They don't understand it at all. They've banned calibers of firearms which are needed to cull big species up north of my state. They're just pressing ahead with disarmament of civilians and they aren't telling us exactly why they say under the guise of public safety, but how can they say that after they doxed us and gave our addresses to criminals? So I'm very scared about what the future holds for Australia and guns are, for me, a symbol of liberty and freedom. Uh, I respect the United States for their Second Amendment and their view on this issue. I just wish Australians could see that governments having the guns is not a healthy society. No, it's not. And uh, that's one of the things that I suppose is saving America to a degree is the fact that they do have the Second Amendment and there are so many guns in circulation. I think it would be now on impossible uh, to confiscate those guns or to get rid of them. Maybe they're going for low-hanging fruit in Australia. Maybe there's a much less percentage of gun ownership there. Same as Canada, Kate. Uh, last year, Trudeau uh, changed the firearms regulations over in Canada, trying to progressively uh, disarm the population because, of course, an unarmed population 
information is infinitely easier to control than people that have uh, shooting skills, let's say, or are organized into gun clubs or um, militia type groups. And of course, we're not advocating any, uh, you know, armed uprising against the government here. But from their perspective, what I mean is it's much easier to control people when they don't have the option to fight back if push actually comes to shove. Uh, I want to touch as well, or I was going to touch as well about the banking situation, but you mentioned uh, home ownership, rental, uh, lack of available housing in Australia. This is a real crisis in Ireland as well at the minute. The rental market is uh, almost non-existent. Now, there's so few properties there. We're being flooded at the minute uh, by people coming in from overseas, uh, being put up in sometimes modular accommodation. They're repurposing army barracks. They're repurposing office blocks. New arrivals are now being handed sleeping bags. There's no more B&Bs or hotel accommodation even left to put them in. What's the state of play, for example, where you are in Western Australia in terms of house building projects? Are, is there anything in the pipeline to address this shortfall or is it just people shrugging their shoulders going, well, it's going to get worse before it gets better? Well, there is a significant lack of tradies available at the moment and also getting in parts to actually build supplies. I mean, I'll give an example of my gun club. It's been told it's required to upgrade its ventilation system uh, surprisingly, at the same time as the crackdowns and guns is happening, but you know, we'll leave the timing aside. And they are saying it's going to be months before they can open because of the lack of tradies and the lack of supplies, which is all caused by government shutting down the economy for over two years, especially in my state where the border was controlled and regulated for two and a half years. We only opened in July 2022, wasn't that long ago. So we're seeing the, the domino effects of these decisions being played out in society now. And people are standing there scratching their heads saying, why can't I get a rental? Why is the market like this? It's because of government decisions and government intervention in the market. And they're not making the right decision when it comes to interventions and that's why i'm looking to argentina now with hope with javier malay and looking what he's doing saying get government out of the way get rid of zoning restrictions free up the land especially when it comes to building houses and let people get in there and do it get government out of the way they never solve problems they always cause them yeah, they do. Uh, Javier Malay, by the way, if you do a little bit of digging into that guy, he certainly is making all the right noises. But all I would say is a note of caution. It was the same with Georgia Maloney when she came uh, into the Italian prime ministership uh, last year uh, in, in replacing Draghi. Everyone thought she was going to revolutionise Italy. She was saying all the right things. She was anti-immigration. She was anti-this, but she's done a complete uh, U-turn as well. Malay has some very spurious contacts uh, and uh, endorsements going on at the minute. However, if he can do some good there with regards to getting rid of unnecessary government bodies, uh, freeing up more money to maybe filter that back in to help people out on the ground, well, then that can't be a bad thing. And I was just wondering, at the minute uh, in Western Australia, obviously you have this crisis, even if they do decide to take action about it today, for example, if the government does decide to do the right thing today, you still have that layoff period where you've still got to get the land got to prepare the land, you've got to build the houses, you've got to get them signed off, and then you've got a huge amount of people that are all scrambling for places. Uh, I think the supply and demand issue is really, really bad there in Western Australia, but, you know, fingers crossed, uh, it'll improve for the better. But with the current leadership and the current government, you probably don't have your fingers crossed, do you? No, well, when the RBA director said, 
move in with a housemate or move back in with your parents as his solution to the problem, you can see just how detached and just how little they really care about our standard of living. Yeah, they, uh, yeah. There, there's, uh, you know, they can they can pay you. Uh, what is it? They can get pay you respects from the teeth out, but their hearts are not in the issue in any way, shape, or form. Oh, good grief. We're nearly at the end of the show. Can you believe it? Uh, we've only got about a minute left. Uh, I just want to give you a massive thanks and also a shout out. Uh, you can connect with Kate uh, if you ha you're not familiar with her. Uh, she also has, by the way, a brilliant podcast uh, that she's got up and running now on YouTube called Shooting the Breeze. Uh, I would strongly encourage you to go on and listen to what she their more long form interviews that you can check out of hers on YouTube. Look for Shooting the Breeze with Kate Fantanel and of course, follow her on the X platform at Lady Liberty AUS. Uh, anything else that we've missed out? I don't think we're going to get covered anything else other than to say uh, I hope you have a really, really good Christmas and thank you so much for all your input, not just this year, but last year as well. And, you know, if you're still around, if you're still game next year, it'll be into three years we've been talking together. Can you believe it? I can't believe it, but I'm so glad that we have this platform because it's very hard to get this message out. So I'm very grateful again to you and to TNT for having me on. Oh, Absolute pleasure as always, and I hope you have, I genuinely hope you have an absolutely splendid Christmas. You and I will stay in touch, uh, Kate, and all being well, we will get an update from you uh, sometime in the new year, probably uh, sooner rather than later. So again, please follow Kate on social media and also check out Shooting the Breeze on YouTube. That's your channel. As for now, I've got to sign off. We're coming up to the end of the show here. Stay tuned. James Freeman will be coming on with uh, Kate Shemarani. Uh, don't miss that one on the free report and i will be back of course for business as usual 9 a.m tomorrow morning uk time with natalie and then of course locked and loaded at 10 so stay tuned here to the one and only tnt radio